0: Welcome, and thank you for listening to the New Day Podcast. We are located in South Kansas City, proclaiming the good news of God's grace to our region and abroad. If you'd like more information, please visit our website, newdaykc.org. It's going to be a challenge for me, and I'm pretty sure I may only be able to say half of what I want because of it. Now, I tell you that for two reasons. First, if I tell you a little joke, then that disarms you, and so you become more engaged in what I have to say. So there's a little selfish intent there. The other thing is that I've now given myself an out, so that if I really mess it up, it'll be because I only had one hand. So, so. What, I, what I really want to do this morning is just talk about a, a couple of things. Um, I took my glasses off, and so I can't really see that clock, which is not a good thing. Uh, you'll yell at me? Okay. Um, That's all right. I never use it. You never use it, great. Thanks. I can't, if I have my glasses on, I can't read, so I should probably just succumb to the age thing and get bifocals. but no. <laughs> Yeah. She's, she, she's on her way to a vacation, and so she's anxious to get out of here. Uh, so I have a, I've been a Christian really a long time was really hard to be a christian so i finally chucked that whole thing and now i just find that i know god really likes me uh it's a way better place to be um in that transitional process there's a number of verses and just experiences or phrases that have been significant in my process and so i just want to share a couple of things that kind of are really fun to me um and relate to that process um me at this point, the Bible, the message of the Bible, there's only one message, and the more I read it, the more it just says the same thing, and that's that in repentance and faith we're saved. Um, you know, you can talk all day about that, obviously. See how my hand is like, you See now, I'm, and I've made myself conscious of it now, so this is going to be a problem now. So. <laughs> Dang it. It's a good thing. It's a good thing. Um, in repentance and faith we're saved, so It's a simple thing, but I mean, if you start defining those terms, I mean, repentance is that whole change of paradigm and what you think and how you interact with the world around you and what is faith. But uh, it's not just, you know, believe in something in your head, but it's actually, you've got to actually receive it so that it becomes transformative. And being saved is, well, it's more than, you know, just getting to heaven, it's actually becoming who you were meant to be. So there's a, it's just pregnant with implications. So, And that's why, as I read the Bible, it all seems to say the same thing anymore, that simple message. So I want to, uh, we're actually going to read from the Bible today, Um, a simple verse, and one of those, it's a little, uh, I'm sure, I expect anyway, that it's something that you've heard before, and uh, as me, you've probably engaged with it a little bit. It's the calling of Matthew and the, the little dinner that he had with he and his friends, Uh, It's in Matthew 9, 9 through 13. It says, and I'll just read it to you. Uh, As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, uh, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Apparently that's the wrong thing to do. On hearing this, Jesus said, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Now, if you were like me and you read that, I mean, the parallel of uh, righteous and sinner and doctor and sick, I mean, that all fits. Uh, the thing that I struggled over was this, go learn what this, I desire mercy, not sacrifice means. I just could not draw the parallels in there the way I thought they ought to fall together. Uh, that should probably have clued me in to the fact that there's something there for me to learn. Um, this is, And this is a favorite thing that I want to talk about. Before I get there, though, i got to do all this... Uh, educating first so that you know what I'm saying when I say it. Um, the, sec- the, the two things that I want to talk about today are, one, who are you? And the second is, what does that little phrase mean? So before I get to that phrase, I want to talk about who you are. Um, there's a... Uh, when I was a Christian, it was a struggle, but now it's not so much. Um, the concept of faith and works in James... <laughs> Yeah, I got one person that understands here. <laughs> so, the uh the concept of faith and works and, you know, show me if, you know, show me your faith by your works and for years it was, well, okay, you know, I got to figure out what I'm supposed to be doing. And if you flip that around, it's I could probably go around the room and based on what you do and how you interact with the things around you, I can tell you what you believe. You turn it that way and you begin to understand, oh, what you do demonstrates what you really believe. Okay? It's it's kind of a bummer because it gets really pointed. So, it sounds nice. So, who are you? Uh, Actions show what you really believe. So, uh, what do we want to be? What do we want as we sit down as people and we try to... I mean, we lay out the course of our life, Uh, how do we behave, Uh, what do we want as an occupation, what is our character, all of those things. Um, They relate, they're important. And some of us, there's a focus on physical things. Um, You know, the first thing that comes to my mind is I want a nice dinner and I want to lay in the warm sun. You know, that's what I want. Um, It's a nice environment. And environment and control of that environment uh, is something that drives us. Generally, we're seeking peace. Um, Oswald Chambers, he made a a reference to something that is very insightful to me, and he talks about it in terms of circumstance and environment. He says your circumstance is the stuff that's around you. It's whatever happens. But your environment is how you interact with all of that. You cannot control your circumstance necessarily, but you can control your environment. So that goes back to that same thing. Same, and that's why the concept is just everywhere to me. So, uh, And it relates to faith and what you believe. Um, and I'll tell you a little story, and I'll try to do it quick. But I think it, it exemplifies the whole message here for this, this concept. Uh, someone I know that has a cousin whose uncle told me this story about this person <laughs> who will remain anonymous... His wife had committed to their children that uh, they as a couple would provide certain things for them as they got older and they were young in their marriage and just to provide a a blanket of security. Well, Which was great when they had money. Uh, They reached the point where uh, incomes kind of dwindled and shifted and so there was not really resources there to do that. Well, The wife didn't want to go back on that promise and so she, without saying anything, accumulated a fairly significant debt on some credit cards. But you can only hide that for so long and eventually it comes to light. So when it came to light, husband is, oh my gosh, I can't believe you've done this. Now we have this huge debt and I'm kinda mad about that debt, but more than that, I'm furious that you didn't tell me. You have an obligation to engage in this relationship and participate and communicate and all that. Right? I mean it's fairly rational, although i don't you know i don't want to uh, encourage the the volatility of that exchange what does he believe what's he doing think about it he's actually he's got he's got expectations he wants things to be a certain way and it's not happening how about an alternative expression how about oh my gosh honey i can't believe that you had to resort to that because There's something so wrong in our relationship that you don't feel free to come and talk to me. I've got to figure that out and fix it. Okay? Different. Now, clearly, his behavior is somehow tied to what he believes because all of that is a choice within his power. So, help? That's, That's why things are so pointed. When I'm frustrated or mad about something... I can't look at that circumstance anymore. So that striving to control can be a driver. Some of us look to, I'm going to say, license to self-medicate. You, know, you come into middle age and you're struggling through life and it's hard. There's a lot of responsibilities, things to do. And so what you want is some freedom. Um, so you, you fall into excess. You uh, indulge a little more than you ought to because you're really looking to just blow off some steam. Okay. Uh, Thoreau in Walden he talks about the, the mass of men that leave lives, lives of quiet desperation um, and the explanation is that they've, they've misplaced value um, they feel a void and they're attempting to fill it with things like money or possessions or accolades of some kind so it's another thing It's well, who are you really? is that what you want? do you want to control the environment to that degree? do you want to maintain that? it's a lot of work the thing we do is we look for recognition and appreciation. We can develop a persona as a, we want to be funny or powerful or attractive or be cute or something because what we're really looking for is a sense of significance or purpose or value. We want importance. We want recognition. Um, it's still, I mean, that's a, it's a behavior, but it's not really who you are. It's what you're doing because you want something, but it's not who you are. Um, As I go down this road towards what do I really, really want? The thing that begins to look like it's kind of at the top of the pile is love and acceptance. And I know that uh, for me, that was a huge driver for years and years and years, a long time. Uh, I really thought someone ought to just take the time to say, you know, Wes, you're okay just the way you are. And nobody ever really said that. You know, at least I didn't feel like it. Um, For me, love and acceptance was one of Christianity's most elusive promises. if you're trying to be a Christian, uh, you may find that's the case. It's uh, very difficult to uh, perform in a way that you feel like you're okay. Uh, it just is hard to get there. Um, I believed that if I was, uh, and this came from a lot of Bible teaching that I had uh, uh, participated in over the years, a lot of different churches. Um, there's this whole thing about you know if you're right with God, then you're right with people, and Life is all happy if you just have your relationship with God, right? And, yeah, I'm, I, you know, there's probably some kernel of truth in all of that, but it was not working for me. So, um, you know, you pray frequently, you know, God, would you just please give me the strength to do this? Would you help me in this situation? And uh, I can tell you as often as I prayed that prayer, what I heard was, uh, no, no because I have really no interest in enabling you to succeed at the stuff you're trying to do. Um, what I want is for you to stop trying to do stuff and receive what I've already given you. Um, it's a difficult process. So I'm going to go... Uh, you know, that love and acceptance thing is real, and it's pretty high on the pile there, but there's, I think there's one more thing that's beyond that. Um, I think that the real you wants to love. The goal of satisfying all those needs for you, if you think about it, is that if those were gone, if they were taken care of, if they were addressed, what would you do? What would you be? Well, you would love people. You wouldn't have an agenda. You'd be okay to be kind, generous, compassionate, caring. That's what you'd do. That's because that's who you really are. That's who you really are. Um, in Genesis one twenty seven, you know, he created man in his own image, in the image of God he created him. And we know clearly, God is love; we reflect that image. You know, um, when Jesus is going over, you know, what's the greatest command? It's well, it's that you love the Lord and your neighbor. Again, it's about love being expressed. That that fulfills the command, and the command I'm pretty sure is kind of a description of what God really created us to be. Um, Romans. 2.15 says that the law is written in our heart. Um, Corinthians 2.16 says we have the mind of Christ. Ephesians says he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless. So from the beginning, before the beginning of time, he knew who you were and he made you to be a reflection of him. What we really want is for the image of God imprinted in us from the foundation of time to be fully manifest for the shackles that hinder us and for our striving and painful pretending to fall away. It's about us becoming what we're made to be. That's what we really want. So I made mention of this a couple of weeks ago to some people, but uh, 1 Corinthians 13, that chapter on love, you know, love is patient, love is kind, love does not envy, does is not boast, it's not puffed up, it doesn't behave rudely. Um, in my Reading of the Bible at this point in time, I don't see that as instructions or directions or uh, any of that any longer. It's not, you know, helpful aids. It's a description of what God is making me into. It's a promise. It's a declaration of who I've been created to be. So uh, it's a little bit of a shift in, in how I, I read and, and see that stuff. Um, So, upon receiving God's love for you, if you really have that faith, if you actually receive that, uh, you become whole. And once you're whole, you no longer have need of others' recognition and accolade. You no longer have to perform. Um, You have leftover energy that can then be used to extend outwards towards other people in an expression of love. So, that's who you really are. All of that was necessary so I get to the story that you've probably already forgotten about. Good thing I wrote it down, or I'd have gotten off track myself here. So, uh, in Bible school, I can remember his uh, instructor telling me that uh, the problem with the Pharisees is that we see them through the eyes of Jesus. Um, In reality, they're—I mean—they're upstanding citizens. They're nationalists. They believe in their community. They're—they're—they're working their very best to do the right thing and to behave properly. It's almost like they're Christians. So so we see them through the eyes of of Jesus, and that's why we cast them in the light that we do. Uh, It's it's not as clear as that might might sound. Who's Matthew? Um, What's going on here? Matthew is a tax collector. A publican is his title, actually. And what that means, and what is tax collecting? How is this working here? Well, to understand who he is. Uh, This is in Capernaum, I believe. So on on the road that comes down through Capernaum, it kind of runs from the... uh, I'm trying to draw it for you backwards to the way I see it in my head. From the northeast down to the southwest, it passes across the top of the Sea of Galilee. It's a road of trade, and he's sitting in a booth, which is presumed to be a, a booth that is taxing the trade that runs through there. What tax collectors do is they go to Rome... And Rome says, hey, we want taxes from this region, and this is how much money should be collected. And they say, okay, I'll buy that debt. Uh, and they don't actually have to give money to Rome. Rome kind of does it as a loan to them. They can then uh, go out and collect those taxes. So if there's $100,000 worth of taxes, and they collect $100,000 in taxes, they have made zero. What do they have to do? Well, there's got to be a a way to collect more money to pay for their living. So in general, they collect an excess amount because that then becomes their income. Uh, Hence the reputation of being a tax collector. So... As a tax collector, uh, the the Jews at the time, they're going to see Matthew as someone who... He's got no commitment to the Jewish nation... He's providing a service, actually, to the oppressive rulers, to the Romans that are uh, squashing their nationalism. So, And he's extorting people to provide for his own income. So Jesus calls Matthew, uh, and it looks like, I mean, it's almost like the next, I don't know if it's the next day, next night, week later. It doesn't really say that very clearly, but it seems very soon. Uh, he's, Jesus is invited over to dinner at Matthew's house. Matthew invites his friends. His friends clearly are going to be tax collectors, other sinners, and similar reprobate. You know? um, so the Pharisees, they know this is going on, and they're hanging around on the outside. They can't go in because that would make them unclean. So they're hanging around. They're just waiting for this whole dinner to end. As it comes to an end, that's when... Uh, the Pharisees confront the disciples and say, Hey, how come, you know, Jesus is eating with sinners? And Jesus overhears that, and that's when he says, It's not the healthy that need a doctor, but the sick. So go learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Now, it's interesting in the context of this story here the Pharisees actually, they're the religious community. They should be uh, presenting. Um, they should be presenting those sinners with the salvation that they have available, with a way to uh, have life and escape that. So they are, in theory, the very doctors that should be tending to those sick people. Uh, but they are not. They're unwilling to go there. So there's a little bit of a, a picture there that Jesus that gets painted. Um, so this concept of mercy and sacrifice. I'm going to tell you how I... Uh, how I prayed through this chapter. Um, hopefully, you'll uh, you'll you'll catch my heart and the the process for me as I've kind of worked through this. Um, first, let me tell you: whenever you start a prayer um, with "God, thank you," I'm not like you're, you've already lost it. I mean, you can just give up right there because you have lost it. So. You know, there's that, that passage in, in Luke where the Pharisee is standing by himself and praying, God, thank you, I'm not like those other people. You know, the robbers, evildoers, or tax collectors. Uh, it actually says tax collectors in there. And then there's the tax collector who's beating his chest begging for mercy. So, uh, a few parallels in there I won't go into. So as I read this thing, I mean, I'm, I'm there. I'm like, yeah, I get the whole, I'm sick so, I pray, you know, Father, thank you that you know you 've provided me with this examples of the Pharisees, and that i 'm aware of my sin, I know that i I need a doctor, and that through jesus i 've found forgiveness for my failures with your strength god i 'll continue my fight against sin, the sin i 'm aware of now we 've already talked about that prayer and that not really being an effective prayer, but i 'm still praying it you know? well, even though i know i 'm forgiven God, I know that I'm not always at peace inside, and some of my relationships, I look around, I think they're supposed to be in good shape, but there's stress, and they're fractured, and um, I'm working hard to keep them in order, God. Really, I just want your power, your grace, your mercy to help me and to navigate these things and to love selflessly. I feel frustrated and unappreciated, and I would say even at times I feel disrespected, sometimes like... My contributions and efforts to these relationships are just not being acknowledged for what they're worth. I'm doing the best that I can, and it hurts to not have that seen or understood. Frankly, God, I'm being the best Christian head of my household, merciful, godly guy as I can possibly be, and no one seems to take notice in a way that touches my heart. (laughs) Dying to the old man in me requires thankless diligence, an effort that I find to be a heavy and relentless, tiresome task. You know, at times, God, I, I feel like I even go the extra mile. I really lay down my life trying to settle conflict by leading the way in humility, knowing full well that I'm not even in the wrong. You know? They have no idea how much I sacrifice and how often I die daily to meet my challenges, and yet no one seems to notice or care enough to affirm or appreciate my selfless efforts. Now, if someone can tell me that they have not prayed a similar prayer, please raise your hand. I'm going to believe that most of you have. So, did you catch the word in there? Sacrifice. Because that's really what we're doing. We're sacrificing. We're performing. We're behaving. You know, and, and what I've really tried to do here is kind of offer an insight into, hey, you know what? I can see where I kind of do that. That's a clue. That should point something. So... Um. So I was actually, uh, I'd say, pretty broken, and my driver was that I wanted that acceptance. So by this passage, what I began to see, that all of my best obedience fell under the category of sacrifice. Uh, not a good thing. Not a good thing. The reason I like this passage at this point is that because it represents freedom to me. Once I connected with, oh, I really don't have to perform. I'm pretty much done. You know, I'm free at this point in time. I don't. I don't. Uh, there's nothing I have to do. There's no obligations I have to meet or anything. Um, I like that. Um, there's a, a passage that struck me. I and I, you know. As I read the Bible more and more, all this stuff just like, holy smokes! I've read that you know fifteen times and I never saw it before. I do that over and over again. It just is amazing to me. But there's a passage in First Corinthians four where Paul's talking about a, a, who he is, and he makes a statement. He says, "I care. I care very little if I'm judged by you or any human court. Indeed, I don't even judge myself. My conscience is clear." It's like so. On one hand, he said, "You know, I'm." I may not be perfect, but my conscience is clear because Jesus is who judged me, and he says it's done. It's not an issue anymore. You know, it's of no consequence. It's been addressed. So if you stop sacrificing and you stop working at being good, what do you do? What do you do? Uh, That can be scary. Uh, I can remember... uh, in my relationships with uh, my wife and others, for that matter, um, when I reached that point where I said I can't do this anymore, I quit performing. And then it was like, okay, uh, I know what I did before wasn't doing it; it wasn't cutting it. But I have no idea what I'm supposed to do, none. And it was a process; it was difficult; it was uh, it was scary. So, uh, probably the most popular objection to this whole concept is that well if we lift up all the constraints and we don't have those there then we'll be bad what will we do you know and clearly if you read in galatians or romans or about anything else you'll see that no it's not true and it's not true because it's not who you are if you are freed from all those obligations You become who you are. That's what the freedom is about. It's not license to engage in crazy stuff. Uh, It's about being free to be who you are. Because when you are, when your life expression is consistent with how you were created, then you are at peace. Then you are at peace. So So if you're being bad, stop it. Uh, But, and I probably shouldn't have this recorded, if you're being good... Stop it! <laughs> um, what I'm really looking for is that if you can receive what God has for you and let loose of those behaviors that you're you're exercising, then you can you can know freedom. You can love people selflessly. So as salvation works its way into our hearts, we become free to be who we've actually created to be. Um, true love is to offer mercy without. Want of anything in return, you know. Love is defined as it wants not. Um, that's a challenge. Um, that's a challenge. Uh, but if you don't have an agenda, if you actually believe that it's done, and you don't have to work, you can let go of that agenda. You can get there. So, I'm trying to I'm trying to lay two things before you. One is that. You really are a glorious and beautiful creation. That image of God is stamped in you. It is what is true to your heart. Um, and the other thing is that the road to get there is in repentance and faith. To quit working at self-justification. Um, there's a... Uh, when I was working through these notes, I noticed another little verse that jumped out at me that I've read a hundred times and never saw before. Uh, and it's in that chapter in uh, 1 Corinthians 13 again. It says, if I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship, that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love wants not. It does not expect reciprocation. It's selfless. That little phrase, that I may boast, that encapsulates the condition of man in its entirety. That's what we're doing. It's, it's we want to find merit and value and worth and significance in ourself instead of because God declared it to be. So, a whole other sermon there, but I just thought it was fascinating that that jumped out at me the way that it did the other night. So you may be asking God to you know, relieve you of your pain and give you strength to overcome, uh, but I'm not sure that that's going to happen the way that you expect it to. Um, some of your pain is actually an opportunity to see where you can let go of works and effort. Um, You have the mind of Christ. It's in you. You have the image of God in your heart. Give place to it. The words that Jesus uh, spoke to the Pharisees, they at first blush, they seem to be a a rebuke. But in actuality, they can be an invitation. And that same invitation, I think, is extended to us. Um, It's an invitation to learn what it means to give up sacrifice And embrace mercy. So receive his love. Be washed of your wants and needs. uh, Choose to love without expectation. And in that place you will find that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. So let me close with a little thing out of Philippians here. It says, I thank my God every time I remember you in all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this that he who began a good work in you will carry it on into completion. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth and insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of his righteousness. Amen. Thank you very much.